Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Spark London. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across London. This story was performed by Matthew Merrick. In May 2011. Where the theme was triangles. Well, when I was growing up in uh, Canada, um, I was a really lazy kid. And my mum never really asked me to do terribly much. I was 11, it was in 1973, and she said, uh, will you do the dishes? And I went, <sighs> and she just got like a dishwasher, so it shouldn't have been that hard, really. So I was like putting the dishes in the dishwasher very reluctantly, and the radio was on, and it was the CBC. And they announced that there was a war going on in the Sinai Desert in Israel, in the Holy Land, and there was a massive tank battle. And I thought to myself, wow, a massive tank battle. Excellent, because I really like tanks. I was 11, you know, and I had, like, lots of them, metal ones, and I used to play with them. And they were, like, I had, like, English tanks, and I had, like, German tanks, and I always blew the German tanks up. And I, like, I knew whose side I was on. That was good. But all of a sudden, there was this tank battle going on in a place called the Holy Land, which I never heard of, really. And I thought, that's a bit strange. Tank battles in the Holy Land, that's weird. And I thought, wow, whose side am I on? Well, couldn't really think whose side I was on. And I, I thought to myself, well, you know, that's okay, because I'm only 11. <laughs> I don't really need to make a decision about this because when I'm old, they will have sorted it out. So, flash forward. And this is a year... I didn't really think about the problems that were going on in the Holy Land, you know? In fact, I actively avoided what was going on there. And when the radio came on about it, I'd turn the station up. I, I, I would never read the articles about it. And then they, I had to learn this new word. I heard this new word. It was called, bear with me, intifada, intifada. And that means rebellion. And in 2000, they had a new one, a second intifada. And they were blowing people up in buses. So there were people strapping explosives onto themselves, going onto buses that were full and exploding themselves. 
And I thought, whose side am I on? Couldn't really work it out. And I started to hear all these messages that, like, that Palestinians were terrorists and Israelis were uh, victims. And then in 2006, I heard that the Israelis were going to build a wall in the Holy Land. And I thought, hmm, a wall in the Holy Land. That doesn't really sound right. A wall. Whose side am I on? I thought. And again, I didn't know. So I thought, okay, well, the only way to get to the bottom of this is I, I, I better go and see for myself. So I went with a group call in 2009, in October, called the Peace Cycle. And there were like 15 of us cycling around the Palestinian West Bank. And we went to visit a place called Berlin, Berlin. And it has a wall running through it, which is a bit bizarre because it sounds a bit like Berlin. But so they had a wall there, and every Friday after prayers, they'd all go down and nonviolently protest about how unfair this was. And Swedish people would come because Swedish people go everywhere. <laughs> and, um, and there were, you know, other people, Germans and, uh, Isra and Israelis would come over. And, and uh, so, you know, that was a good place to be if you wanted to get a feel for which side you were on. And so I was there, and I'd ridden up this really, really steep hill. It was hot. It was October. And I was on a mission. I wanted to be the first one up this mountain. So I was riding really hard. And I got into the village of Berlin, and it was a media event, you know, and they had the, like, uh, film crew, and they were watching us all come in like it was a stage of the Tour de France, de France which it really wasn't. And um, got in there, and... Ritually, what happens is you go along to the head man's house and you sit down and you get a cup of extremely sweet tea and um, they show you a video presentation. And on this particular event on the laptop, the sound wasn't working and I fell asleep. <laughs> I woke up and I was told that I was going to be staying in this house, in this little village house up the road. It's a really one-horse town. And it's very dusty, and it's concrete, and the buildings aren't really finished. And uh, there's a sense of everyone being exhausted in this place and a sense of kind of foreboding. And um, I met the, my host, the guy who could speak English. It turned out to be a guy called uh, Jody. And Jody is 19 years old, and he comes from North London, which was odd. And, and, and he, was in a, he was in a wheelchair, and he had a, like a twisted spine and he had an electric wheelchair and somehow he'd managed to make his way from North London and he'd been in Lebanon and he'd been in Gaza and he'd been in Egypt and now he was in Berlin for the demonstrations and he was going to be my host and we, we went along and uh, we were having dinner and he, he told his story because he wanted to be a journalist so he was blogging about this stuff and he was going to the demonstrations in his electric wheelchair and he was very active, and I'm sitting in this uh, room, and we're having dinner, and we're having olives and pita bread and falafel, endless, endless falafel. <laughs> and uh, he's talking about the story about uh, Abdullah's family next door, and the week before, this is in Zone C, which is, uh, the Palestinians are supposed to govern it themselves, but at night, the Israelis don't really care about that too much, and they, ru they rush in on snatch raids, and they go to people's houses, and they take them away at night and put them in jail. 
And uh, the, he was telling this story about his neighbor, Abdullah, and they'd got a call. They'd all gone over there. Um, the whole village had surrounded the place, and uh, there was a big commotion, and Abdullah was going to be arrested, and his wife was outside, and she was screaming, and the kids were screaming, everyone was screaming. The Israelis were screaming in, in Hebrew and the Arab, and nobody could understand anybody else, and they pushed Abdullah's wife over, and she fell on her bum, and it was all traumatic and humiliating, and he was taken off to prison. Hmm. So I kind of was getting a feel for whose side I was on. Um, the peace cycle ended, and I had another two weeks in Israel. So I uh, took a bus to um, Jerusalem, and I got on one of these uh, city buses, and I'm on the city bus. I'm talking to this guy called um, Noah, and Noah turns out to be a Canadian, and he's working for the propaganda ministry in Jerusalem to make sure that they get the news right, that they get the, the right message out. And I'm talking to him, and um, this other guy gets on the bus, and uh, he's got Rasta fairy in hair, and he's got a beard, and he looks like Jesus, really, Rasta Jesus, and he is wearing, um, you know, a tie-dye top, and he's got combat trousers, combat boots, and he's carrying an M16, and he sits down next to me here, I'm talking to uh, Noah, I'm talking to Noah, and I can hear this guy, this soldier next to me, sort of sighing, he, he keeps going, <sighs> Strange. I've never seen a guy with a rast of hair and an M16 on a bus. And um, he gets up to get off the bus, and I think to myself, I really want to talk to this guy. And I get up, and the door's open, and he gets out onto the sidewalk. And I, I, I called him, and I said, hey, you know, I'd really like to talk to you. And he goes, uh, well, get off the bus. I said, okay, cool. I'll get off the bus. How about we go for a cup of tea? He says, no, let's not go for a cup of tea. He's really, really soft-spoken. Let's not go for a cup of tea. Let's go up to my flat. We'll have a beer. I go, yeah, okay. We go up and have a, have a beer, and I start smoking his camel cigarettes, and we start talking. And he talks about how he'd heard about the second in the Intifada, and he'd come from Boston. He was American. And he'd been sent to Lebanon. He'd been cut off from his troops. He'd been six days uh, cut off. His officers had been killed. He had just the water that he was carrying and his food. And he took command of this platoon of troops, and he led them back to his lines. And he was a reluctant hero. And this was a mantle that he was carrying very heavily. And you could tell by the way he talked. And I, I said to him, I thought about it, because I thought I knew whose side I was on. And I thought I'd tell him the story about uh, Abdullah and Berlin. I wasn't sure how he was going to take that. So I said, you know, I've been just been to this village in Berlin where they do the snatch raid and they took this guy, Abdullah, and the soldiers come in and they're really like heavy-handed and they push the women over and they, she cries and the kids cry, everybody cries, and they're really rude to each other. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I know. Because I used to be stationed in that village and I've seen, I've seen that kind of stuff go on there. And I've been on those raids. 
And I've seen those, uh, those guys being horrible to those people, but I'm never horrible to them. I'm always really, really polite because we've got a job to do, and we just do that job. So, like, did I find out whether all the Israelis are victims or are they all oppressors? Did I find out if all the Palestinians are terrorists or they're just people? Yeah. I'm still not sure whose side I'm on. For more stories, head to sparklondon.com. Spark London tells stories in West London, South London, and now North Norfolk. For one night only, we're telling stories by the sea. For more information, contact Joanna at sparklondon.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.